You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Antler Up podcast brought to you by Tethered, the world's best saddle hunting equipment, and we have a fun show for you all today. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Antler Up Podcast. Man, I am fired up. This is the best time of the year. I just freaking love the end of October, beginning of November when it comes to whitetail hunting. And what a perfect guest to have on the show for 196, none other than Bo Martonic, host of the East Meets West podcast. What a fun episode this was to record with Bo as he shares his top five rut hunting strategies and tactics. Bo also dives into specific scenarios that I truly believe will help any hunter out during the rut, but also how to be mentally and physically prepared for this best time of the year. We also listen to Bo share who has made the biggest impact on him when it comes to hunting and how you can't let stress bring you down during the season. And we get into individual growth and what leads to his strategy when it prepares for hunting at the end of October and the beginning of November. Then we get into the really good stuff as Bo shares his top five strategies and tactics to be successful during the upcoming rut. Kind of joked and said, these are Bo's commandments when it comes to hunting the whitetail rut. So really hope you enjoy this one. Be sure to check Bo out over on his YouTube, his website, and of course, his East Meets West podcast. Enjoy this fun episode, everybody. Best of luck to you out there. Now's the time to be in the woods. Good luck. Antler up. Hey everybody, before we get into this week's episode, I want to share some exciting news. The Exodus crew is now launching the Exodus Vault. It's a place to lock in significant savings on their website over at exodusoutdoorgear.com. Exodus Vault will feature some of your favorite products or Exodus gear you haven't considered checking out. Varying from limited run products to last chance savings on customer favorite products, which is one of the Exodus Render, where you could save $95 on one while supplies last because once they're gone, they're gone. I've had nothing but amazing experiences with the Render. I have two of them, and I'll tell you what, phenomenal photos, phenomenal videos at a great data plan price. 
no glow flash the render will provide critical real-time data right now for you that you need and again once they're gone they're gone it stood the test of time with thousands and thousands of hunters out there so again the final opportunity to purchase this render but you could get also some second chance arrows or you could also get a memory card holder and real quick there is no additional coupons that will be allowed to put on this but to show your support for the antler up podcast go ahead and put antler up in your order notes that will just show that you heard it from me and it'll help me out with with those guys as well so Definitely check out the Exodus Vault because, again, some great savings on some phenomenal gear because once they're gone, it's gone. So check it out over at ExodusOutdoorGear.com. Real quick before we get into this week's episode, please, if you like what you hear, make sure you are subscribing to our YouTube channel, our Facebook, our Instagram, as well as making sure you go leave a review and you share this podcast. It really helps me out. It continues to grow. Make sure you check out the Sportsman's Empire. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you next week. Best of luck to you and Antler Up. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tether produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstring strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. And a special code is made for our listeners of the Antler Up podcast for America's Best Bowstrings. Use code ANTLERUP and you will save $10 off your order. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that saves the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You have deer prediction, journaling, and the best maps on any hunting app platform there is. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20% off your Spartan Forge membership at spartanforge.ai. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. And I'm joined by none other than the East Meets West podcast host. We have Bo Martonic. Bo, welcome to the show, man. Jeremy, thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to, to be back talking to you again. Oh, man, I'm, it's thrilled to have you on. It's always a, a pleasure when we have the chance to cross paths. And like I said, just a couple minutes for, for uh, before we hit record here of just how much, you know, it's honestly as an outsider and someone that I three and a half, almost four years ago, I comment, I sent you a message because a, a colleague of mine, you two went to college together and man, I, I was laughing. I was telling my wife and my daughter, I was like, Bo probably thought like, yeah, here's another loser trying to do another podcast. And you know, here we are four years later, I'm still kicking, I guess I'm still, still vibing with it. And, uh, you know, you helped me tremendously even then. And I was again, absolutely no one. I'm still really trying to get, get my, my bearings and stuff. But, uh, man, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and I'm I respect the hell out of you and I really love what you're doing and uh anytime I have other acquaintances that you know were similar with uh friends and everything like that I just love hearing uh you know your your success and it's it's awesome to hear Bo yeah well thank you and but one thing I want to say is you know back when you contacted me on that you know since since that point I'm I'm not joking there's probably been 
a hundred people, it seems like that has con have contacted me about doing a podcast. And I've always, you know, tried to help out the best I can. People have helped me to do that and everything. But one thing that I'll say to give you, um, uh, some congrats back is basically, I I'd say maybe a couple of them are still rolling mm -hmm. and it, cause it takes, it's a grind to do a podcast and to be able to keep up with it and you know do a weekly show or whatever the, the cadence is of it it's hard yeah. and it's not it's not easy to be able to so like i i don't want to i don't want to say that i'm uh um less uh motivating when i talk to people now but i i try to be realistic with people too as far as like listen just let, let's walk through these things <laughs> to make sure you want to do it and it's not to deter anybody it's just like understand that there there's going to be a lot and you're it's going to take a long time before you realistically see numbers or people mm -hmm. listening and all that stuff it's just a lot of consistency and and the last time i uh I talked to you i remember telling you that i was like man i love seeing it you've been you've been crushing it and keep rolling and mm -hmm. i've heard more people mentioning your stuff and seeing you everywhere like that's that's pretty awesome no man i appreciate the kind words and like i said it's it's just so cool to see pa guys just you know having fun and and in all reality we just love we love this stuff you know and if you have that passion and you're on that side of things where this is your full-time gig uh you know obviously i'm still a, a, a health and phys ed teacher at the high school level uh you know but i obviously it's turned into meeting some great friends from other companies and uh, acquaintances of just being able to, to learn, right? Like I've done, I did this out of the whole learning and growing and developing as a hunter. And, you know, maybe finally it's been three and a half years that I'm finally applying things and not being a total moron with, <laughs> with things <laughs> and, you know, finding your own niche. And I've heard you on a podcast a couple of times, you know, especially when, the, you know, you're like, you have all these people on you're talking mobile gear right and you, you sit you, you're at one tree and then you want to bounce the other because that other people are doing it and it's just like no wait like this spot i know this spot right like you know there's just things that you you learn and you grow and you you know the best way that you could go to go through these things is actually experiencing it and uh i feel like things are finally coming to, to grips with that yeah and and you made a really good point there and i think that we have one of the harder jobs and people might think, Oh, harder jobs, but it's like <laughs> harder jobs. When you talk to so many successful people, you want to try these different things that people right. say, even if you have something that has worked and sometimes it can throw you off a little bit because not something that works for this person is always going to work for this person or right, situations right. are different. And everybody is speaking based off of their own personal experience and how they hunt and the areas they hunt. And that's why it's, it's so interesting because um, uh, I think when it was the other day, someone had said something to me that uh, they said some of the stuff you can say could be contradicting at times. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah actually it can be. It, <laughs> yeah. it really is. And deer hunting isn't a one way type of thing. And I'm evolving as a deer hunter and changing my tactics a little bit and trying different things and finding things that work here, but they don't work there. So it's, it's, it's uh deer hunting is there's definitely not just a playbook that you can go by right. and, and figure it out and go by it's constantly adapting and, and, and learning those things. But, uh, yeah, it, it can be tough sometimes when you talk <laughs> to so many successful people, um, that they live and die by this one strategy that yeah. you may have never done and, uh, you know, going through that. Yeah, no doubt about that, man. And I'll tell you what, one thing that I really never had the opportunity to really dive into 
that I've been really dissecting this past off season and getting ready to hopefully hunt and, and just learn from a couple experiences in this upcoming year is going to be the whole, uh, like really seeing how like the Creek bottom hunting, like with the thermals and how, like just seeing like how that's going to really play out because growing up, a lot of the places that I hunted was just on big mountains and some of the streams and the creeks and all that stuff. I'd never, it wasn't on the property that I basically hunted. So I never had that experience and just listening to podcasts, especially things that you've done, uh, whether it be on videos and, and having guests on, but your personal experience and you teaching that stuff, I really been trying to, uh, really hone in on those, th that ability, those skills. And, uh, I'm really excited for one little spot that I found and, and, uh, I'm excited to see how it goes and just, uh, when I scouted it and bringing the milkweed and just seeing how like when the wind's blowing, it's getting sucked down into that, into the, the flow of the water and with the, with the crick and everything like that. So it's just cool that things like that, that again, I never did before growing up really as a kid that now, you know, as a 36 year years old individual, I'm learning from, from you and, and testing things out like that. I'm like, oh, it'd be cool to just kill a doe down here and just say, Hey, this worked and how did it work? You know, how did it work as well? And yeah. why? So those are, those are the things that I'm, like you said, I, I love about this. And, and one scenario that could be different for you in 10 different spots, like, like you just said earlier. You know? Yeah, no, most definitely. And it's like, so I, I obviously spend a lot of time in creek bottoms and I love hunting creek bottoms, but they're not all treated the same. Mm -hmm. And there's some areas I'll go to, or I've tried some other States that looked similar and, it was not the same result that I was right. getting in, in other areas. So it, it takes like such a, you know, so many different things in your bag of tricks to throw out there and, and try and go through. And, and, uh, but it, that's, you know, there's the positive side of, of doing this thing is because mm -hmm. you get to talk to all these people and you can maybe throw another, you know, trick in your bag yep. to be able to throw out in a, a specific scenario, or maybe you would have, walked by by that situation and not thought anything of it um and and worked through it because you know crick bottoms are one of those things that i i've hunted crick bottoms i learned this from my dad i've learned this from my grandfather i've learned this from my whole family about whitetails and water and during the rut and it's a really good uh setup in most cases and then you know once i started being exposed to more media and hearing people everybody was like you can't hunt the creek bottom you can't do that and i started thinking man maybe i can't i'm like yeah. wait no i have and it's worked <laughs> but it, it just takes a different different approach to looking at it um and it and it's again that's what's cool everybody has their own opinions and experiences yeah. that they can throw at it but i'm, I'm yeah, I love uh, yeah, that, dude, that's so that's so <laughs> awesome. I know. Well, here's a question to kind of get us rolling. I know we could go down so many rabbit holes, and the main meat and potatoes of this episode, uh, those of you that are listening, is going to be kind of like I, I was jokingly. I want it to be, but but in a serious way, Bo's rut hunting 101 class, right? And uh, it, it, this will this is going to be airing here in the end of October. But you know, Bo, before we get rolling. I probably would know the answer to this, but I just want to hear your explanation of it. You know, who do you really consider to be your biggest impact, like on your hunting journey and, and really why? That's definitely my dad. Um, I can say that with a hundred percent certainty that growing up watching him figure out the woods in an age where there was no media that was associated with hunting the big woods or doing anything, just learning from experience and 
I got to, you know, spend time being in the woods with him and, and used to be allowed to hunt his spots and, you know, spend time <laughs> in there and, and get to see it. And like, he's, and he's still someone that outworks me. I mean, to this day, mm-hmm. uh, probably puts two times the amount of miles on maybe even more in the woods and is constantly out there, constantly learning, very data driven, which is where I've got a lot of that from. And, you know, there's been a ton of people that have influenced me, but if I were to put it down to one person, it's definitely my dad. And I mean, just over the last, I guess, 40 some years that he's been hunting, there's, I don't, I think we were talking about, there hasn't been a year that he hasn't killed a buck and that's pretty, pretty yeah. phenomenal. That is pretty amazing. I, I, and to kind of build upon that for you, Bo, is, you know, those of you that are maybe struggling right now, like during this season, if you want to just kind of disconnect for a little bit, re- hit that reset button and button, go back to last year's episode that Bo did with his dad, with uh, his cousin, Mason, right? His cousin, Mason and, yep. and Johnny, just because it, it was a two part episode, but man, that is one that last year for myself, when kind of preparing for the rut and getting ready, you know, you're right around the corner of, of those all day sits and you just, you're starting to question yourself a little bit, right? And and you're putting that pressure on yourself. And that is a great episode. Just kind of disconnect. You hear the laughs, but man, the knowledge bombs that are dropped in that, that subtle, but really like done extremely well. Uh, Go back to listen to that. I know you're going to have some other great episodes already right now, but just another one to kind of go back to uh, for sure, because man, that was one that I enjoyed. And and it kind of honestly, really for me personally, Put me at ease because I was uh, actually when when that dropped that weekend, uh, I had a really awesome encounter with with some some crazy rut activity, and it was so funny because I was like, "Holy shit!" Bo's dad was spot on. It was that October twenty eighth, whatever that Saturday was. It was just nuts in my where I was, and yeah. um, you know, so and it was so funny because in that episode, he said something about the font, like looking back to trail cam data of like when fawns were born. And I picked that weekend to go in actually specifically because of the first, I dated it back to my first fawn picture from that year prior. And so when I heard your dad say that, I was like, okay, I'm in, I'm, I'm doing something right. You know, I was like, yeah. a, I was like a, like pat on my, on my back there a little bit. Uh, and dude, it was, it was crazy. I, your dad and you know, was right. Take, you know, that, that late October, he thought it was going to be good. And it was. Yeah, it was good. I mean, our, our data from our trail cams and everything really showed, yeah showed those days were good. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't essentially in the right spots during those days. Um, in, in the areas I was, but <laughs> the camera showed me that the, the days were good. It yeah. just wasn't the particular area that I was, that I was hunting at that time. But, uh, what's funny about, you know, that episode, we talked about, uh, a lot about just like our struggles with it. And I think that, you know, with social media and with all these things, everybody talks with so much confidence and you have all this confidence and like, mm-hmm. this is what you do. This is what works. But I don't care if you, you know, my dad's been hunting 47 years and been super successful. All of us struggle a lot. And, you know, and it helps, you know, my biggest thing about that episode was like being able to talk to having good friends that you can call when you're in these struggles and bounce ideas off of and, and talk through it because when you're emotionally attached to something and the rut really 
can bring that out of you 100%. is having someone that's not emotionally attached to your situation kind of help guide you through it. Cause a lot of the times you're doing the right thing. If you put in the work and, and figured out these spots, it just takes time. Take the guesswork out of building your own arrows for this upcoming season by ordering a custom set of arrows from Exodus outdoor gear. They have developed and sourced literally the most precise archery components on earth to build a tailored arrow for your hunting adventures. Just head over to Exodus's website and plug in your specifications in the arrow builder and have your custom set sent straight to your door. You have two arrows to choose from, one being the MMT arrow, which is a 246 diameter shaft, and the new NIS, which is a 204 diameter shaft arrow. Use code AU to save 15% off your tailored arrow order at exodusoutdoorgear.com. Right. Yeah. I like two things. Uh, when your dad, I was just like, I listening to it, I was like, wow, that is freaking impressive. Your dad was like, I, yeah, the other night I was going through my trail cam data to 2009 just to see if I could put something together. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like <laughs> 2000, I was like, man, that, that is a, that is freaking awesome. And then uh, the other thing was too, is kind of the, what, really has helped me uh, go with my my off-season scouting and honestly, Bo, led me into a great spring turkey hunting this past year. Man, was like you guys really talked a lot about going with your gut, and I felt like that was something that I continuously went against. I would help friends out, like what you just said, right? When you have someone you talk to and you're, you're disconnected, you know, I was a little bit connected to certain things, but it wasn't my situation. And, and I would say, go do this or whatever. And maybe someone was successful or had a really cool encounter or something along those lines. But it always seemed like I always went against my gut. And that encounter, like I just mentioned earlier, that October, uh, that October 28th or whatever that Saturday was, I went with my gut and I had a really cool day uh, out in the, yeah. in the woods that day. So that was awesome. And then it led into my summer, my spring scouting, summer scouting. And like I told you with my turkey hunting, I kind of went with my gut a lot. And my first two hunts of my day one of in Ohio, I tagged out within a half hour of PA. It took me till 11 o'clock on opening day, but I got it done. Right. And that's just, I was going with my gut and did certain things and I'm hoping, uh, it will, it will happen here in uh, Pennsylvania and some other States for some whitetail. So yeah, I, you know, like I said, going with that data, what your dad was saying and, and what, you know, all of you basically were saying, but the going with your gut, going with your instinct, because we know our, we know our areas to an extent, but, and deer will do deer things, but man, I know it's so weird. And I know your buddy, Johnny, he, he hates that word luck, but you just have to sometimes just go with your gut and put yourself in there. And, but like he then says, we, you get lucky, but you did the homework, right? Yeah, that that yeah, I think that's what Johnny <laughs> means by that a lot. Because I mean, yeah, I I would um, and he he still he'll correct me on this when I say it, but like I believe that I do believe there's luck involved in any sort of deer hunting. It's just like how much did you create of that luck, and how are you able to put yourself in that scenario? And 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 I'm glad you brought up the gut feeling portion because it. It is. That's where the emotional part of it gets hard and can sometimes get in the way of that gut feeling and what you know you need to do, mm -hmm. but you don't want to do it because of this or that that you create in your own head. But gut feeling takes time to learn and to be able to get that confidence to make it a gut feeling. You know, right, it, right. it takes having these situations or having these encounters to really, really put all those pieces together and 
and it just gets it gets better with time as far as like you I feel like you can trust your gut a lot more the more you do it the more you try and and honestly failing is huge the best the best mm-hmm. thing to be able to learn for for me is like I I I I'd rather fail fast and try to learn learn from it but um, I've learned way more from my failures than my successes. I agree 100%. I've actually been <laughs> quoting that one uh, on the last couple episodes that I've been doing with people. It's just, man, I just feel like, and honestly, Bo, I mean, that's every day in life, you know, like I hopefully you don't make that same mistake twice or the third time and it, no matter what it is in life. So, you know, but as far as my hunting journey has gone oh for sure i feel like i've learned no doubt about it more on those failures than i have on my successes you know yeah so here's here's something um you know before i just man i i love just chatting and i love getting the chance to dive deeper into to certain individuals and stuff like that you know i know you've been doing this for over two years now i i believe as far as a full-time gig goes Are, are we at two years no, we're just over a year. Okay. Actually. Okay. So we're just over a year, but I know you, like I said, you, you've been doing this a very, being successful for a very long time and man, you evolved as so much as a hunter, you know, how do you really kind of take that stress off yourself? Right. I mean, I mean, I know we do put stress on, so I know not all stress is removed from your, from you, but how are you able to really kind of like disconnect that, that outside pressure compared to putting that personal pressure on, right? Uh, No matter what, like we do put pressure on ourselves, but there is that outside. I think that sometimes is knocking on that door. uh, And, you know, how, how do you kind of disconnect that and not really worry about it and narrow things down to, to get done what needs to be done? Yeah. And, and I'll be honest, like, I, I think just about every year I let that external stress get to me to a point and it's just trying to recognize that and take a step back. I don't think stress is always a bad thing, but it's like, mm-hmm. if you can, you can't let it control you. And, and I, I won't sit here and say I'm the, the absolute best at it by any means, but sometimes it just, it took me just, I, I really actually, I'll, I'll, I'll quote something that when I was in Alberta last year, I was hunting um, with an outfitter that was, uh, I was up there with a trip for Sitka and, uh, Jim Hole Jr., very well-known outfitter in the bow zone of Alberta. And I was up there hunting with him and he had said something to me about, uh, shooting deer. I'd passed on a really, really big deer up in Alberta. And I was like, man, I really wanted to, to shoot this and everything. And he's like, you know, Bo, he's like, when it comes down to, anything any any sort of things he's like you've proven yourself and and you've done the thing so many times you don't have to prove it to anybody else that that you're you know worry about what you want to do and try to meet those goals but really try to just take the outside of it you know when especially when if you're if you're able to do something, um, say, say you're on a streak and you've been killing bucks for four years in a row or whatever it is. And the fifth year, all of a sudden you're struggling. It's like when you can take that out of like, okay, this doesn't mean like, Oh, it's okay to fail, but more so like, don't let that, don't let that pressure get to you because it's going to start. It's probably going to make you fail because you're thinking too much about it and you're trying to force things rather than letting the situations play out. Right. You know, like for example, I've been trying to get more efficient earlier in a season. I've always had rut success for a long time and I've, but I've been trying to do better early season. Now I, 
I've, I think in the last 10 years, I've killed two bucks during the first week and that's it about all, all the rest of the ones have been later in the year. So it's like, I'm trying to yeah. try to do that thing, but it's also, it's like, okay, that's when you have, when I've, you know, focused the least amount of my time in the past. And it's like, just understand that you have more time and in the season will unfold how it's supposed to, if you just keep putting in the work, you know, maybe it'll happen early. Maybe it'll happen during the rut. Maybe it'll happen in late season, but it's like, let it, let it play out and also enjoy the season for what it's thrown you. I think that the biggest thing for me when it comes down to the stress game, because even if you don't have external pressures of having a podcast and expect to produce shooting deer, like even if you're just, uh, you know, a guy loves to hunt and you put those own pressures on yourself, those years that it takes you a lot longer to do it, you'll learn a lot more Mm -hmm. from it and to, to be able to, to come back from and, and just try to adapt from it. I remember it was in 2020. I, uh, I didn't kill a buck during archery season and that was the second year in a row. I didn't kill one during archery season in Pennsylvania. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do? Like, I, I, I feel like I know nothing. And you know, I just, but I started, I hadn't rifle hunted in a while and I just started, you know, getting into that and having Mm -hmm. fun with it and, and taking that, that pressure off and then it worked it Boom. ended up working itself out and it was my biggest buck to date and it was like then it, you know at that moment you're like it's <laughs> the greatest season ever and uh you know and, that, and i think that especially when it comes down to the rut it's like that is the time of year when i when i believe that most people question themselves question their sanity question their tactics their scouting more than anything because it's typically when you're taking your vacation time and you're spending the most time in the woods and you always picture the rut as this magical time where deer mm-hmm. running everywhere like that experience you had last year mm-hmm. all over the place and the fact is 99% of it is not that and it's right. silence sitting in the tree just kind of you know just looking out sucking on your thumb not really doing a whole lot <laughs> yep no man that's that is extremely well said and man I I feel like you're kind of preaching to the choir and uh but man since then it's it's been a lot better you know what i mean and putting myself in better situations and growing and developing and uh and it's honestly Bo, it's it's almost like more so the outside influences of non-hunting things right like how do i get mentally more tough how do i control my human body in a sense of like when these pressures are in that situation going back to my playing baseball days and man, it's, it's honestly, it's helped out tremendous, like up in the, up in the tree for, for hunting. And it's, you know, using that, the same kind of analogies to, to help me grow that way. I know it might sound a little weird, but that's how my brain works. And I was able to do it. No, you're, I mean, yo, you're, you're right on. And like, I, so I've always tried to show through the, through my platforms, the, the messiness that comes Mm -hmm. along with it and the, you know, how I make more mistakes than probably anybody when it comes to, to hunting. And for example, by the time this comes out, I'll have my elk films from 2022 out on, on my YouTube nice. channel. And it's not, it's not the cleanest film from the standpoint of it's very well done quality wise from Justin who did amazing job editing and filming, but I had missed a bull uh, early in the hunt. And then I ended up hitting a bull later that I did not recover and I remember being in that situation where I was at the lowest of lows and like, how can I, why did I shoot? There was brush there. That was so stupid. What is, you know, what is my problem? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what, you know, 
people are going to just bash me and I'm an idiot. Like I just hurt this animal that, you know, didn't, you know, didn't he'd lived, but that's, you know, on a side point of it, I, I was so down on myself and it took just like, I really just, I took the afternoon off and was just like, all right, I can either sit here and cry about all these things or I can get up and put another one foot in front of the other and get back to it. And it, it sounds, it's so much easier said than done, but it, yeah. it happens. And, you know, during the rut in 2020, that year I was talking about, I had actually had the buck I was hunting was bigger than the one that I ended up shooting rifle season. I had him at 15 yards on the ground, the full draw. And I was using, I was using one of those, uh, uh, Garmin sites mm-hmm. and had the range finder yep. thing built in. And I tried getting a range and there was some brush there. I couldn't get the range. So my, my scope housing was wide open and it wasn't the site's fault. So there, there's a, there's a fail safe. You hit the button twice and these pins come up. Well, my brain was so scattered. I couldn't remember to do that. So I'm sitting there with the biggest buck of my life at 15 yards. And then all of a sudden the doe takes off and he starts following her again. And I never even released an arrow. And I just, I wanted to cry. Like I just sat yeah. there. I'm like, I've worked all year for this one opportunity and I just screwed it up. Right. And that was, that was, you know, just, but we have these things happen a lot. And I, you know, I try to minimize those mistakes from happening, but it's, it's the nature of it. And I think that's hunting is such a good life teacher in that respect, because it it helps you deal with these things and, and understand that it's going to be a roller coaster and you got to figure out how you and yourself, like how you can get out of that. I don't think everybody's, Yep. in the same, or I guess reacts to the same things or the same coping mechanisms to be able to get out of it. But I, and I've kind of learned for me that a lot of it just comes down to analyze it, figure out what I did wrong. Maybe I need to yell at myself for a little bit, but not too long mm-hmm. that you start dwelling in it and then just be like, cancel it out. Yeah. And Johnny Stewart says, says it all the time. You know, when I was, I was texting him for my inReach in Montana when that happened and he said, uh, you can't cry over, uh, spilled milk. He's like, just keep going. And <laughs> yeah. he's like, he's like, you know, you're a good archer. You know, you, you know, that you put in the time, like just keep going and, and, uh, things will work out. And if they don't, then you'll do better next time. Yeah. Yeah. And they did. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, one more thing that before we dive into this rut, you know, uh, discussion, you kind of alluded to it just a little bit ago and, and I had this written down and, you know, I want to just say you know, over the season, again, as an outsider, as someone that we've been in touch with over the last couple of years and done things together, you know, I really do believe Bo, one, you are already, already a, a well-established great hunter, but I really do feel like, again, someone from the outside, I've seen how much tremendously you've grown, uh, especially when it comes to the or the earlier season hunting the bucks. I mean, obviously you killed that one on earlier se- early season and you're using the data and all that type of stuff. That's phenomenal. And, and you alluded to earlier too, that you killed another buck earlier on, you know? So when you look at this, what, when is your favorite time of the year now to, to hunt for these whitetails? Because I feel like when you, when you have that success early on like that and the data-driven individual that you are, does the rut still just hold king to you or is it that early season you love trying to maybe figure something out like that? It's still the rut, man. <laughs> I, I, there's, there's no, I, I don't think that's going to change anytime. That, the, the early season thing is more of trying to test myself and try to figure out some 
different strategies on mm-hmm. getting on these deer, but the rut for me is is by far my favorite time of year because you don't know what's going to happen. The more time you're in the tree, the better odds that you have, and you just don't know what could come by at that time. And that that gets me fired up. First, how many trail cameras <laughs> that that I run and everyone runs, you can still have a complete mystery of a deer show up. Yeah. And I, I like that, that mystique of it. Have you ever scouted an area or hunted specifically, mainly hunted an area like a little bit earlier on in the year where you're like, you know what, I might have a chance and these conditions allow me to get in here right now. Like maybe it's October 11th, right? You're just, it's that kind of maybe the first or second cold front. You've you got the right conditions. You potentially have the right Intel to go in there and maybe get after this buck. You might you know, put a little bit of pressure on during that time, but nothing ends up happening on that specific hunt. And you don't really go in there. And obviously you don't know what other kind of pressure is being put on, on like on these whitetail. Is that a spot maybe that you might go back to come, come the rut to, to see if, whether you have a cell camera or you go back in there and check data, have you had success maybe doing something along those lines where you hunted a spot earlier in the year, didn't really work out, but then later on in the year it, it had, or you had some really cool encounters? Yeah, I, I would say a, a, a lot of my spots are that way. Mm-hmm. And because th- there'll be some places, some certain scrapes that every couple of years, it'll have good data around the first cold front in the middle of October, that October 12th to 18th time frame there. And I always go in and I'm, I'll hunt them. And whether, you know, maybe I screwed up access or for whatever reason, a deer didn't come in. Well, yep. that doesn't, you know, I'll go back there in a week or two weeks and hunt and have had success being able to do that. Or there's a spot that I haven't hunted actually in probably four years that the five years prior to that every year during the rut, I had great encounters and I've killed any three bucks out of this tree, but I tried hunting it early on and it was like a ghost town <laughs> and it was just like, and in the bottoms, the, the wind was swirly a little bit more when it was hot out and I, it just wasn't, it wasn't the place that it was, you know, two, three weeks later in the year. So yeah, there's, there's definitely those. Electrify, escape and expand with PWR. Nothing will hold you back from finding adventure on your own terms, forge your own path to places others can't reach by car, by foot or using analog equipment. Electrify your adventure with PWR's unique e-powered adventure tools that are just as fun to ride as they are practical. Escape the ordinary methods of enjoying the outdoors that take you to the same old spots it seems everyone ends up. Expand your playground, push beyond your old limitations, and find a new comfort zone. Check out the brand new Rome scooter that comes equipped with 4-inch wide heavily treaded tires for maximum grip over loose and aggressive terrain. The 24-inch front wheel diameter makes easy work of rolling over roots, rocks, and other low obstacles in your path. Use code ANTLERUP750 for $750 off or ANTLERUP25 to save 25% off the site, excluding the roam. So check out RidePWR.com and prepare for your next adventure. All right, man. So let's let's get into what I think everybody's been really hoping to, to, to listen and hear from it's that time, man, and and we're, we're gearing up for, for the all-day sits and bouncing around, getting in on finding those doe groups or finding going to getting after that buck, and I, I know we'll get down into talking about scrapes, but before we do that, man, what 
how are you, what is your process to getting ready for this as far as uh, what Intel uh, or what Intel are you using to develop like your strategy for that? You know, let's let's just say from that October 25th through uh, I know your favorite time is that November 7th through plus couple days. But let's just say that that October 25th through October 8th, like right before your favorite time frame, if that makes sense. Yeah, so I'd say there's probably three things that I would think about for that. One is historical data, if I have it for the area. So historical trail camera data, what dates were hot, what weather conditions, you know, produce movement as far as trail cameras and or personal experiences in the tree. I have all that data logged, so I'm looking at those things. And, you know, from there, if if either if it's a new area and I don't have that, or even if I do, the next thing I'm looking for is the time of year as far as what what do I have from this year as far as buck pictures. Is there something in, in the area that I want to go hunt or is there, you know, a, a, a buck of a caliber that I want to hunt in these particular spots? Because sometimes they're just not in, in, in particular areas. But I want to find I want to find areas that have the most good bucks too. Like yeah. I I I'm not I like to single out specific deer, but I I will shoot other deer and and during the ruts it is kind of difficult to focus on one particular deer and you know single him out. But so I, I want to have that intel if possible. It's not 100% necessary, but if possible. Probably the biggest thing is real time intel on where the does are at. So during the middle of October, I'll be doing a lot of scouting with my bow in hand and walking through and bumping does is good because I want to know where those does are hanging out at and, and kind of figure that even in the springtime when I'm walking around now, their bedding might change a little bit, but those are a little bit more habitual than I think even the bucks are, um, at, at certain times and, you know, there's, there's certain doe groups that I know when a certain one, one of the big does comes into estrus because it's always good around that time frame. Right. So like that, that really, that really comes into play. And if I have any historical knowledge on those does, that's even better, but kind of having those doe groups in mind more so than where the bucks are betting at that particular time. So then as that leads into, and, and what I then what I do is I have all this stuff in a document, uh, a hunt plan, as, as I call it, and I'm sure a lot of others do, but where I have these areas listed out and these these particular spots, when are the right conditions that I want to hunt them, you know, kind of grade the spots. And so then when you go into this and you get into the full swing of it and you and you're hunting day after day and nothing's working out, you have a list to go through and help be able to make those decisions based off of that more so than out of panic and thinking that you have nowhere to go, even though you know you have a bunch of places, you're just not thinking clearly enough to be able to go do it. Now, will I, you know, go away from that plan sometimes? Yes, but I like to have, have that available to kind of go through those spots. You know, it's like, Oh, there's a Southeast wind and, it's going to be, you know, doing this weather conditions and stuff. Oh, I don't know where I can go. There's this tree that has this. Well, yeah, I do. I just got to look at my at my sheet and understand those conditions and kind of go in. Yeah, look at your pros and, and to, the, to your cons, I guess, when you look at that. Dude, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and and it, and it, it is simpler than we make it out to be. And, you know, <laughs> even 
even myself, you know, I can get convoluted with all these different data points and all these different things. But one thing I've come to learn, like, for example, the wind, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I try to find spots that have the wind in your favor, but in the mountains, in the big woods, you're going to get swirling. You're going to have, so I don't, especially during the rut, I don't think about it that much. Like I try to plan for it the best I can. And then I just hunt. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the wind isn't right, but it's like, well, in a, a traditional rut spot, you're not hunting right over this deer's bed. If it shifts, it's not the problem. He might be a mile away at that point when that wind's shifting, and you're hoping for him to come through. And I, I just, I try to, I chance it a lot when it comes to that time of year, to, you know, big high risk, high reward type, yeah, you know, conditions as far as as far as setting up. But, yeah. What would you say are things that, as far as your tactics go? throughout the year for you, Bo, uh, here for whether it's Pennsylvania, West Virginia, these specific whitetail states, what kind of stays the same? What gets altered a little bit? And then what gets thrown out the window for you during this rut time? You know what I mean? Like early season, yeah. like like kind of like what you just said, it, you will kind of not necessarily worry about that wind situation when it's, you know, peak rut, you know, what, what kind of things stay the same? What, gets altered and what gets thrown out the window wow that's 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 a good one well i would say that i'll compare and contrast west virginia and pennsylvania to keep it simple because Mm -hmm. they they are similar and very different at the same time so for example you know in in pennsylvania i feel like in the areas i hunt have a good buck to doe ratio in low deer densities which usually creates more aggressive so, deer, mm-hmm. more sign laid down, and the bucks have to go further to find does. In West Virginia, where I'm at, there's a lot of does. And so the bucks don't really need to go. They will travel far, but, like, they don't. When you find a doe group, it's not as big of a deal as it is in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So in those situations, I'm less focused on, specific doe groups as much as I'm trying to find these funnels in this really steep terrain to be able to just get in those places and and be able to be there versus Pennsylvania I'm a little bit more strategic on the doe groups and trying to find funnels that are associated with it but if it's not it's most of the spots I hunt aren't as gnarly of terrain as I hunt in West Virginia so it's not like I can find these perfect bottlenecks that deer have to go through yeah. like I do in some places in West Virginia. Yeah. And that's cool. I like that. So what, what would, okay. So now you're, you've, you made out your, your plan. Uh, you use your data, you're using what your data you find currently right now. What are Bo's top strategies? What are you going out there to, to give you your best opportunity to, to kill the buck that you're after? All right, well, I'll, st- I'll start off by listing them, and then I'll kind of dive into them. And the first one would be is finding rut funnels. And the second one would be the importance of scrapes. The third one would be don't bounce around. And, again, I'll go into all these in detail. Mm-hmm. The fourth one is midday madness. And the fifth one is calling. So those are like my five, you know, when we were talking beforehand, commandments, I guess if you want to call it, <laughs> yep. uh, for, for rut hunting. And, you know, looking at, so rut funnels is, you know, I'm thinking about that first. This is like kind of trying to find these places that you want to be set up, you know, during the rut and hunting. And for me, it's, you know, I 
want to be between doe groups. I want to know where these doe groups are and be in a place that a buck are likely to travel to check one doe group and go to the next one. If it's, you know, a little bit towards, you know, the end of October, more pre-rut time frame, then that goes into the, the next section where scrapes are a little bit more important. But I'll, I'll, I'll dive mm-hmm. into that in a second. Going back to the rut funnels, between doe groups, terrain edges or like funnels that go through, vegetation edges, and how all of those combine. Where can I find a place that maybe I bumped does here, maybe I bumped does here, here. Now, what is the most likely travel between these places that will funnel movement in this vast woods? You know, usually at first I'm looking at terrain. I'm trying, I'll just look at, so like I'll have Spartan Forge pulled up, just look at topography. And I'm trying to find these places that look like, okay, maybe you have some steep terrain above, some steep terrain below, and there's a bench system that goes there. And like, those are the types of spots. And then vegetation side of it, it's like, maybe it's a clear cut edge. Maybe it's a, where hemlocks are butting up against some hardwoods as much vegetation kind of diversity and edges that you can find that bucks may want to cruise down the edge of or move down through. And, but really what it comes down to in that is where are the most buck trails crossing at one particular location? So like me finding those things on a map as a starting point, it might not be this exact spot that I sit at, but I go there and I find a trail coming up the side of this steep valley or draw on either side, then it goes up and maybe on top there's a saddle and they go up over and then there's a a trail that goes around horizontally and to be able to move. Okay. We have three or four trails that are crossing in this vicinity and maybe there's one 75 yards over there and there. Okay. There's, there's deer coming through this particular spot. Now, does it have the cover that I would feel like a mature buck would would feel comfortable being in and what i want to do is set up on the spot where i can shoot into the cover and then to the edge i used to just hunt the edge where i could shoot that side and all the time not all the time but a lot of the times these bucks would be just inside that cover whether it's blackberry briars or laurel or whatever it was just you know and, and when i say shoot into it like that's that's hard to be able to do but if i can just find a little pocket or a little opening that might be a deer length long that might be enough for me to be able to stop him when he's going through so trying to find those funnel type places and the other funnels that i'm looking at that we alluded to earlier in the podcast are creek bottom crossings which again this is where you have you know a trail or two that might be crossing a creek and then you have some that run parallel to the water and being able to move and if you have something else like a beaver pond or something else that makes them have to cross in that right. particular location, that's where where I want to set up. So funnels are are huge. And um, do you want me just to, to go through the, the yeah. rest of them? Or yeah. do you? Okay. No, no, go for it, man. All right. And the second one is the import, like the importance of scrapes, as I was talking about. And I love scrapes, big scrape guy. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, so you know, pre-rot time frame. I like to sit right over community scrapes that are on the edges of where does like to bed or mm-hmm. doe bedding. I'm not worried about the ones where I think bucks are at. Sometimes those overlap, but I want to find ones that are near where does are at that I'm getting through the middle of October. I want to have more does, does. on that scrape yes. camera than I do bucks Preach, because that's man. where Preach. they're going to be. That's where they're going to be coming to. And, 
it's funny if you look at my which I'm never going to show anybody this, but if you looked at my trail camera photo catalog, I save, I don't just save buck pictures. I save doe pictures in that usually from like October 10th on where I'll just save maybe one photo or maybe a couple that I'm like, okay, in this daylight, there's, there's does somewhere right around here. I don't always know where the doe is laying down but I know that they must be betting somewhere close because they're hanging out in this area in daylight. And it's like, okay, so I want to hunt those particular areas because those bucks are starting to cruise and check on those spots. Maybe the does aren't ready, but they're, they're laying down their dominance and now multiple bucks are hitting these scrapes and they're, you know, kind of, you know, getting their pecking order yep. per se. So that's when it becomes really important. Now I, I will still hunt scrapes during the heart of the rut, but a lot of times I'm not hunting right over top of that scrape, but it's, it, you know, traditionally there's one in the area or I'll make one, a mock scrape right. somewhere in there just to get them to stop or have them, have them do it. You know, like an example where I was hunting right over a scrape when uh, last year, 2022, I shot my buck November 4th and I was hunting right in the bottom of a hub system. So I had a bunch of ridges that ran down into this bottom and there was a scrape that's been there for 15 years. I mean, this scrape is as gnarly as you can imagine. It's a white doe hunter's dream. And what I've learned about this spot is the camera pictures that you'll get on there, you might get some pictures of deer during the rut, but from sitting there, they're always coming through around it, but they're not always hitting, hitting that it. scrape. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this particular buck, I'm not sure if he crossed below because I couldn't really see or if he was just coming up parallel to it, but or uh, yeah, parallel to the, to the creek. But when I, I was doing some calling and all of a sudden I heard this buck coming and he came out and fixed up below this scrape. And I've learned that there's a trail down there. I was actually just talking to my dad about it. I was like, I need to get a camera on that lower end. Um, even though I ran a camera there for years and years, I've never ran one down below. Right. And maybe I don't need to because the deer just do it, but it, you know, I just like confirmation data, man. And, yeah. uh, confirmation, <laughs> but seems like they'll cross below it and take kind of where the, some of those thermals are coming down and smell them. And so they're still using scrapes during that time. It's just not as much of the active pawing and working the licking branches. So scrapes are still important at that time. Are you, uh, for, yeah, I was going to say, are you still, uh, I personally have even hunted those specific spots where maybe I was getting a buck or middle October, let's say, and leading up to this. And then maybe it goes dead for a little bit, but I've also then like at that point, if I'm still getting does to hit it, I'm getting more downwind because I'm thinking those bucks are even don't necessarily even need to hit that scrape in a sense. And I've hunted, you know, between that and I've had younger bucks in encounters like that. Is that something that you've done? And the reason why too, I'm asking this specific question, this was one of a, a listener's question about that. So, you know, what is your take on, those being set up downwind uh, even before that because of, of maybe seeing a buck earlier, but then it goes kind of dead for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's very, that's very situational yeah. as far as I, I used to think that when a scrape would go dead, the buck just kind of wasn't in the area. And I, I do believe that the bucks are around those scrapes probably five times the amount that we get pictures of them. Yeah. And, and that's where I've started doing exactly what he was asking about is moving, you know, whether it's downwind and sometimes it's not even necessarily 
downwind because things are, are shifting a little bit, but just a little bit off of the scrape and more of a place as, as Johnny would say it, that just, this looks like a buck wants to walk through. Yeah. Like he feels comfortable going through that. So I'll hunt off of it a little bit more than directly on that, that particular scrape. And I've, I've, I've been doing that more in the last probably three or four years than I did, did in the past. Nice. I like that. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm, I'm a big scrape individual as well. Love getting them and, you know, using them to, uh, when you said earlier with the does and I was going preach, 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 because I'm with you. I get just as much as excited when I get a doe going nuts on, on a scrape as I do for bucks, just because I, they're laying that scent down and, you know, seeing, seeing, Hey, uh, I'm ready. And dude, when I, I, one time I had a doe bed in one in a scrape and like the next two days, it was insane. The amount of bucks that I had hitting that scrape, it was just like crazy. I don't know what, what that oh. would cause, but man, it's, 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 I got a lot to say about that. <laughs> so, so the, the whole idea with does laying in the scrapes, mm -hmm. I believe that they're like, she's like, I'm ready. Yeah. Like come find me because I've learned that when I get pictures of a doe and a scrape that that following day, like it's usually during the night, yep. like they'll just lay there through the middle of the night. I'll get all these pictures. She's laying there half sleeping, looking around. And then that next day, it's like hot and heavy, yep. bucks around there going nuts. And what I was going to say on top of that is not as much do I see the bucks laying right in the scrape, but they'll lay watching those scrapes a lot. Mm. And so I have this, it's it's a pretty, and I actually maybe I can share this trail camera now because the buck's dead, but he, this just absolutely giant deer, what my camera was sitting back a little ways right in like this hemlock edge. And there was like a grassy opening and a big scrape there. And all I was getting was the side of his antlers. Yeah. He was bedding right in front of my camera against this back wall of these hemlocks and watching this scrape. And then he'd even, he was then a couple of days later, he had a doe kind of locked down right around that situation. And all day he was just like bedded there and kind of moving around. But, uh, there's, 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 I was talking to another hunter the other day that was just not on a podcast or anything, but talking about where he'd go in to hunt this scrape. And he realized one time he saw this buck get up, realized there was a bed sitting up above it, watching down on it. And if you were to go in there and hunt it, you'd never see him, but he'd get pictures of him outside of that time. And it was like, sometimes those bucks are sitting there you know, watching that scrape yeah. before they go down or maybe they don't ever go down to it. They're just kind of visualizing it and, and then moving along. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. So then the third one was don't bounce around. Yes. Okay. So this is, again, you alluded, alluded to this earlier yeah. is the craze, you know, with mobile hunting and is, you know, first time in best, uh, opportunities. I think that's probably true in a lot of areas in the big woods. When you have low deer densities, I don't believe that's your best option to consistently have success in, in these areas because these deer aren't patterned to the point where they're going to come hit the scrape every day, or they're going to bed in this spot every day. It might be every three days. It might be every five days. They have like these kind of cycles. It seems like that they'll come through these, these particular areas. And sometimes you might just be chasing your tail. And if you're chasing mm -hmm. trail camera photos, 
you'll never catch yourself uh, or catch up to them if you're just like constantly following like cell cameras have made this worse because you get a picture and you're like holy cow the buck was on that scrape i need to hunt there tomorrow and then you go in there and you don't see anything you're like well he's already through there he's on the one down down. you know down the ridge (laughs) or he's over here and i so like I always joke about that because I'm, I've, I love cell cameras, but it can be a mind mm-hmm. mess. You know, it'll screw yep. you up sometimes too if you take that data too literally in some of these spots. And um, so just sticking it out, and when you find a good, you know, rut funnel or spot that you're sitting in, I like to give it at least three days in that spot, sometimes up to five days. And which is crazy because especially when you scout a lot and you have all these spots, you always think the next spot is better. But when you're when you're there and you're like, okay, I'm confident that a deer is going to come through here at some point. I need to I need mm-hmm. to sit here. And and if you pay attention to your access, you're not there's not deer blowing at you every single day. And then starting to rut, like even if deer are blowing at you who cares? Like yeah. they, they forget about that in 20 minutes because it's, you know, maybe an old buck that's not fully rutted up yet, but it's not, it's not the end of the world. You know, I've been in, I've been in places where I'll, you know, I've blown does out knowing I was close to their bedding, not caring because a buck knows a doe is traditionally bed there and they'll, they'll come through. But the, the moral of that story is not bouncing around, you know, whatever I, I, my, my, note to myself is sit it and give it time yep but but where where this can where i want to throw a little bit of a wrench in this and this is where people say it can be contradictory but like <laughs> uh, last year i did this where i sat well three and a half days in one tree i never saw a single deer and but what i didn't what i didn't uh, account for in that or what i didn't weigh enough was that this year there wasn't even doe activity in there like there traditionally was, but I was going off of historical data from the two years prior that this spot was good during these areas and I needed to be there. But I was, I was almost manipulating the situation in my own mind because I wanted it to work and it seemed so perfect, but it, but it wasn't. So that's where like, this is where you get the, should I stay or should I go? And what, what my, my, thing is is i list out johnny and i talked about this a lot it was like list out the pros and why you're there list out the cons and if the cons outweigh the pros move if they yeah. don't you know go and 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 that's that's what kind of helps me figure out when when i should stay in a spot when i should go and dude i'm sure you yeah. get asked that a thousand million times yeah oh yeah yeah and that's uh you know when i get asked that it's usually during the rut mm-hmm. uh, when, you know i'll get messages oh, what's going on here and i'm not like, seeing anything honestly i i'd have a thousand more questions for that person i can't answer it in yeah. uh by looking at a map or or you know in a very simple way it takes a lot more to to be able to ask those questions and be able to figure it out and really the simplest way like i said is I look at the pros and the cons and that's just how I, how I yeah. do it to try to simplify it. Cause otherwise I can screw with my own mind and I can make it a problem. And that's where I literally was like three and a half days in there. It was hot. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I called my dad in the tree. So I was just sitting there in the tree, like one <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon. I was like, I think I'm going to move. He's like, if your gut's telling you to move, move. I'm like, all right. 
yep. went to a spot and two hours later I, I, well, I drove, I don't know, 15, 20 miles and got into the spot a couple hours before dark, an hour before dark, I ended up shooting a buck. Yeah. It was like, it, so it, it's hard to, <laughs> to weigh those, those situations, but that's, that's my third level. Yeah. Um, my fourth one is the midday madness. So what I've shot, I've, I've looked back and I've shot more bucks between 11 AM and 2 PM than any other time during the rut. And that goes for Pennsylvania. That goes for Ohio. It's really anywhere that I've been during the rut, that midday time frame. And going back to earlier when you said about, you know, who I've learned from a lot, and my dad was, when, especially when I was younger, my patience was not at the yep. level where it is now. And, I, and he'd be like, you got to sit in that tree all day. And I'd be like, no, no. I do not want to <laughs> do that. And I've got caught twice climbing out of the tree at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m., and being partway down on the sticks and here comes a buck in or I'd leave and a trail camera would show me 20 minutes after I left, there was a, this deer. So honestly, if I'm say, yeah, you know, I have a week off and by day four, I'm drained, I'm tired. You know, I, I would rather sleep an extra hour, walk in at daylight, hunt my way in and climb up and sit the rest of the day versus getting there two hours before light yep. and, you know, running yourself down because there's, there's something to be said about quality sits, um, too. And, but at the same time, you know, during the rut, the more time in the tree that you spend, the better odds you have. So I try to like, if I'm in a, a place of just feeling drained, how can I maximize that? Or when is the best time to make sure that I'm, that I'm in there and I'm always going to be sitting there in the middle yeah. of the day. And so another example of this is 2017. I was hunting most of the year, not having a, a ton of luck some, you know, had some opportunities, nothing I could close on November 8th. I, I, I always set like, so if I have a camera mm -hmm. next to my tree, I always set like a goal of a time before I'll check it. I don't check it before I get in because I don't want to have, uh, mm -hmm. Usually you look at it and you'll get disappointed and then it screws up your mind for like the rest that. of the hunts. But I, I so like I that. wait until a certain point in the middle of the day where I'll climb down and I'll check that and get back up in. And I remember I was like, at noon, I'm going to climb down. I'm going to go check this camera. And literally I was just getting ready to pack <laughs> things up. And I, I don't remember if, I don't remember if I grunted like one last time. Yeah, I think I did. I grunted. And did like a, a bleat, like almost like a, a sequence. And all of a sudden, I, I was right on a, on a crick, so I couldn't hear. But I could see feet underneath these these hemlocks, and I could see a tree going back and forth, being rubbed. I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's a buck right there. He's right, you know. So I got ready, and he comes out. And, and at that point, I knew I needed to go to full draw before I even saw his antlers because – I could either let down if he yeah. wasn't what I wanted to shoot, but I drew back and came out and there was this old five and a half year old buck and he popped out and his neck was all ruffled up. Yeah. I shot him and it was like, it was this great time. And the, so the next day I drove to Ohio through the night, got there. I don't know. It was like nine in the morning or so went into the spot. I found in the spring. It was kind of the saddle. I was just off one side with a steep ditch coming up, climbed up in my climber at that time, got up in the tree and 
three hours. No, I had to take a work call. Yeah, I had to take a work <laughs> call in the tree, which I was like, oh, whatever. Yeah. I had to do it. So yeah. I was like on the phone, and I got off of it, and about an hour before dark, here comes this buck going around the rim of this ditch, and he comes up, and I shot him, and it was this nice 12-point, and uh, he died right on top of the ridge there. And I was like, holy cow. And that was, you know, that was Lesson. not, not – not right before dark. That was two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, holy cow, there was two midday bucks and two consecutive hunt days in a row, which, you know, like I said, yeah, the whole season impressive. leading up to that hadn't had any luck. And then just like all worked out and it was, it was really cool. So I, I love the midday time frame. So I, I don't, I don't go back to the truck in the middle of the day unless I'm deciding I'm switching Ooh. spots. Yeah. Nice man, dude. That that fires me up. What what's the number five of the the bow commandments? Uh, calling. Calling. So big call guy, and uh, so during the rut, I call every fifteen to twenty minutes throughout the whole day. I I do two different things. I either do just grunts, or I do like a like a chasing sequence mm-hmm. where I'll just brr, 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 and then I'll dump the can, the bleak can, a couple times and. I just have one of those little Primos cans. I just yep. dump it over, you know, the ones you get at Walmart. That's all I do. And then my grunt call. And and reason why I do that so often is a lot of the places I'm hunting are thick. I might only be able to see 30, 40 yards. And a deer could be traveling just out of range, and I can't hear them. I can't see them. I just want to – I want – I want them to hear me, and if they're curious and they're in the right mood, that they, you know, could potentially come in. If I'm in more open woods, which I, I rarely hunt that, but if I were, I wouldn't probably do it as often because mm-hmm. they have a chance of seeing see. me mm-hmm. first. Um, and I've never had any luck rattling, but I haven't tried it. I don't even carry rattling antlers anymore, uh, but I might start playing with it a little bit again i've heard i've a podcast guests that have kind of made me think that maybe i can make some rattling work yeah. so i may may try that but i haven't done much rattling or had any success with it but when i see it or if i see a buck out of range um kind of cruising along i'll give him some grunts and if he stops kind of looks but keeps going at that point i get real deep into like a growl just draw it out like yep. i am and i put emotion into it like i'm pissed and i'm trying to call him over to fight me yep and that and then my last resort is a snore wheeze if those two things don't work i try that at the end and at that point he's either gonna run or <laughs> gonna come in hopefully <laughs> yeah <Yep. laughs> so those are that that's that's my um those are my five if you're in the market for finding a new trail camera, I highly encourage you to look no further than Exodus. Exodus has two main options to choose from as far as cameras go, a budget-friendly option that doesn't compromise quality. The Exodus Rival is the camera for you. Simplicity meets functionality in this easy-to-use, feature-rich cell camera. The Rival offers crystal-clear photo quality, easy setup and use with complete remote management through the app anywhere in the world. Two already are set up in Northeastern PA for me, and they're working flawlessly. And if you're looking for an all-encompassing cell camera, seriously, look no further than the Render. It's their flagship camera. It stood the test of time for thousands of hunters across the country. I have one deployed here locally where I live and another one I'm saving for back in Northeastern PA. Again, zero issues. And I'll tell you what, Exodus stands by their five-year warranty for accidents or for theft. 
top-of-the-line customer service, so see for yourself why so many made the switch to Exodus and experience the Exodus difference. Use code AU to get 15% off your first camera today. Mammoths. You know what I mean? You gotta, you have to read uh, these deer because, like you said, men, sometimes you could do that, and boom, they're like, screw this, I'm out. You know, this guy sounds like he's going to crush me. And then other yeah. times, you know, they'll come right in. I, Dude, I'm actually super pumped. One of all five of those, I think they're phenomenal commandments, especially during this time here in Pennsylvania, pr- private, public. But I'm the calling. I that I like that one, man. I, I that's that's good. Yeah, dude. I'm I I like I like it. Maybe it's uh, you know that's why I think I love love elk hunting so much. Yeah. Like, I like interacting with them, seeing their temperaments, understanding how they how they interact with it and trying to read deer, especially when you see them like you just described yeah. and figuring out what kind of trips they're triggering. Yeah. Last question, Bo. Um, when it comes to the rut, man, it seems like one year we're either in the, the, the vortex of cold weather or we're, we're hunting Florida and it's 70 degrees, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Pennsylvania. We never like we like last year in 2022, we had better weather in October than we did in November. Right. Um, I think we did at least, uh, how, how are you handling when it is a little bit warmer during those, those November rut days? So I'd agree with both those statements that deer are going to rut no matter what. Mm -hmm. And then I also agree with that. It slows down the movement. So my thing is like, if there's warm weather for more than two days, then I'm going to shift to areas of historically seen movement during that time of year when it's hot out, which is t- traditionally something that keeps a little cooler. So hemlocks and creek bottoms. Creek bottoms are usually like 10 degrees cooler, especially if they have some shade and a lot of Pennsylvania has hemlocks filled in their bottoms and stuff. And so I move lower at that time, lower in elevation. There's, you know, more water available for them, especially if it's been hot and dry for a long period of time. I'm not really going to be up on the tops where sun's beating down through even not, you know, the clear cuts, all that stuff, not much for shade. Mm-hmm. I want to get in those areas where they, they, they feel more comfortable traveling through during that those hot weather. And cause I I've seen, you know, the deer I killed last year, I mean, that was 75 degrees that day. And, yeah. and, it, but it was, it was 10, 15 degrees cooler in that creek bottom that I was in. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think a buddy of mine locally that we were both hunting the same spot in 2016, 15, 2015. And, uh, we were, we were literally hunting the same spot and didn't realize it, but our, st- our stands were about 80 yards apart in the same creek bottom. So we text each other like, Hey, who's going, you know, basically who's hunting down there that day during yeah. the rut. We both had off of work and I said, Hey man, I'm going to, I'm going to, keep my vacation i'm gonna go work it was like 78 degrees uh november november 6th november 4th november 4th and uh i was like i'm and he's like i'm gonna go hunt he was there in a t-shirt two o'clock in the afternoon 162 inch deer came down through and and he shot it and it was a deer that neither of us had seen i ended up finding his shed the, that following spring from the year before that yeah um so he was there the whole time or at least in the area but nonetheless it was just like i do believe deer are gonna rut it's just finding the places that that they're going to be in now one day of off weather i'm not going to shift everything i don't think they're going to just 
completely move, but I think they they get hot and they're running around a lot. They're going to start to go down towards water and be in some cooler areas during that time. That's just, that's my thought process, north facing slopes, things yep. like that, that offer a little bit more shade. Sweet, man. Bo, man, I, dude, I, I, I feel like we could continue to talk and, and, uh, but man, you, you hit the nail on the head with, with your bow rut hunting commandments. And, uh, I appreciate you sharing your wisdom. Your uh, just even before we got into that rut hunting, just the, the great conversation that I have again, just getting a chance to know you, uh, as an individual and, and obviously as a hunter, it's been awesome. And I appreciate you taking the time to do that. Your content is just been so helpful from, uh, to not only to me, but thousands of ind- individuals. You're doing a great job. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Where can f- people find you that are maybe just finally tuning in and just seeing what, what, uh, Bo Martonic and East meets West is all about, man. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Jeremy, for having me on, man. I'd really appreciate this conversation. It's awesome to get to get to talk to you and I've got getting to know you over the last, you know, four or five years, which is wild. Yeah. It's been that long, <laughs> I know. but, uh, so if people want to find out my stuff, East meets West hunt podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts or I have the video version over on my YouTube channel. Um, and by the time you listen to this, it'll either be that under the name Bo Martonic or East meets West. Look for type either of those in, you'll find it. And then, um, East meets West hunt.com has just about links to everything that I do there, whether it's the scouting videos on YouTube, the hunting films or the podcast, and then social media, just look up Bo Martonic or East Meets West, and uh, you'll you'll find the stuff there. So one one more thing, one more plug that I do want to say because I found it for myself to be honest, uh, really nice and helpful, Bo, and you do a phenomenal job. Something that I need to do a better job with. Um, but go to Bo's website, the East Meets West dot uh, com pod, er, and website, and sign up for his newsletter. A, Bo does a great job of sending out. Uh, weekly and monthly, you know, if it, if he misses a week, which I don't think you do, you do it weekly. Um, you, you send out like that week's episode, you send out some cool partner things that you have going on and, and, uh, some, maybe some written articles as well. So definitely check that out. It's a kind of like a one-stop shop and, uh, you know, Bo, man, appreciate you so much. And, and, uh, uh, hopefully at this point in time, we're, we're getting ready to knock down a buck. Yeah, man, uh, definitely. And, and, and going on the newsletter, because that's where I do, I do release everything there first to anybody that's an email subscriber, whether it's the scouting camps I do or whatever, like yep. that always goes out on there first. So yeah, thanks, man. Awesome, well, good dude. Good luck to you. Yeah, thanks but, uh, for tuning in, everybody. Go check out Bo and, and uh, I'm telling you, some great stuff. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next week and Antler Up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Antler Up podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please go check us out on our Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Go Wild and at antlerupoutdoors.com. If you enjoyed this episode, go leave a review and subscribe for next week's episode. Until then, Antler Up.